Welcome to another episode of What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. This show studies the workplace and the workforce trends that are shaping the workplace and workforce around us. And we study the people who have found solutions to the trends or are uniquely working within the trends that are shaping the workplace and the workforce around us. And I would say to somebody who came to me and said, Cam, I have a goal of getting into the print media business. I want to create a newspaper. I want to create a magazine. I would look at him and say, man, I think that ship has sailed. I think you should probably do something else. But I realize there are some newspapers and there are some magazines that have found a toehold in today's economy. And some of them struggled through a very difficult time post-2007, 2008, the Great Recession. If you'll recall that time, Craigslist had maybe just been born. And a lot of the advertisement that the newspapers would take would classified ads. I mean, those things, I, I, my inclination is to say that those classified ads in the backs of the newspaper were just cash cows for them. They were uh, selling a, just a small amount of space at a pretty good price. And that's where the community went to buy and sell and to learn things. When Craigslist came out, it disrupted that, to say the least, and uh, as well as eBay and as well as all the other online sales things. But Craigslist, as I recall, seems to be the big culprit. And it crushed a lot of these print publications, particularly the newspapers. But if you walk around most communities, you're going to find a local, at least any community of any size, a local, weekly, independent, maybe it's bi-weekly, independent newspaper that seems to be doing well. And we're going to talk about the trend of bucking the print media industry in the year 2018. And it really begins in the year 2008, since the print media took a big hit with the Great Recession, where advertising either went away or changed in form. Uh, the advertisers who couldn't afford it just simply vanished. Uh, many of the advertising clients just simply vanished, couldn't keep the doors open. Yet again, some of them seem to be doing quite well. Our conversation today is going to uh, talk to the co-publishers of the Lanyap newspaper here in Mobile. It's a weekly independent, 30,000 in circulation, about 80,000 readers per week. And we're going to learn how they've grown their business post-Great Recession. It's not something that I ever thought I would hear. We're going to learn what decisions they made and see which of these decisions would be applicable across businesses, across industries. Is there something that they know, that they did, that they could advise you and me on, on growing their own business in keeping a weekly print newspaper alive? I'm always looking for feedback on the show. Here's a couple ways you can give us some feedback, and that is first, the phone line, 251-260-8100. That is both phone and text. I'll say that again, 251-260-8100. Email me, cam, C-A-M, at cammarston.com. The Facebook page is where we keep most of the content up to date. That is, what's working with Cam Marston? Enter that into your Facebook search bar, and you'll get right to us. You'll see what we're up to and what we got going on and who we're looking for, etc. We'll be right back with the co-editors of Lanyon. Recognized by Business Alabama as a top-tier CPA firm, Russell, Thompson, Butler, and Houston has served small businesses and individuals along the Gulf Coast since 1987 with consistent quality and service. Russell Thompson Butler in Houston is a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. To learn more, rtbh.com. Think about how people really see you. The kid at the drive-thru just sees a coffee drinker. Please pull forward. Your local barista sees the person who loves a smiley face in their latte. See you next time. It's kind of the same way with insurance. Other insurance companies just see a customer, but a State Farm agent sees more. They see you as a neighbor. Your State Farm agent is here to get to know who you really are so they can help life go right. Call me, State Farm agent Allison Horner, and Mobile at 666-1616. 
Hello, you're listening to What's Working. I'm Kim Marston. I have on the line with me Rob Holbert and Ashley Trice. They are the co-editors of Lanyap Weekly in Mobile. They're the independent weekly newspaper, about 30,000 in circulation, newspapers in circulation every week with about 80,000 readers is what the website says. And in a city like Mobile of a population of 300 plus thousand people, that's a pretty good sized footprint. Most of you listening are concerned like I am of what's going on in the print business today, particularly newsprint. We turn on our phone, we get all the information we could possibly want from every different angle. We pick and choose our topics. We pick and choose the angle on the topics that we want. Yet here we've got a newspaper that continues to thrive locally. And the question is, what's the niche? How have they found this niche? How does the growth continue to happen? What do they, how do they exist in a world of everything that if you don't like it, you can call it fake news and there'll be people around you nodding and agreeing, interested in the solution from both Rob and Ashley. Rob, Ashley, welcome to What's Working. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Sam. Uh, let's start with a kind of a very broad question. Those that are in their marketplaces across the, our, our listener area likely have something similar to uh, Lanyap Weekly available to them. What do most people not know about running a weekly newspaper? What would surprise most people? Rob, we'll start with you. Um, I guess probably just the fact that um, weekly newspapers have actually been pretty strong in terms of uh, staying in business, keeping their readership, that type of thing. Um, but it is also, it's a, you know, it's a newspaper and it's a struggle. It's, it's not uh it's not an easy thing to do in, in this in current environment. I think sometimes people either are on one side where they've heard print is dead and they think you're about to go out of business or the other side, they look at you and say, gosh, you must be making trillions of dollars. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just somewhere in between all of that. Yeah. So you're not making trillions, but billions, things are going okay. Not billions. Close. Oh, I wish. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so would you agree? It seems like you're saying it's a stable business. Is it a thriving business or is it a stable business? Um, you know, it's a, it's a, we think it's a still a thriving business. I mean, it's, it has like any business, it has cycles, it has ups and downs. Um, but you know, we've been able to, we've been here 16 years now. Um, we grew from, we started, Ashley and I started with $5,000 and 5,000 papers um, every two weeks. And so now we do 30,000 papers a week. So, uh, you know, I think there's, we think there's a market here um, and, you know, we're still filling that, that market. Uh, that said, you're still dealing with things like, you know, digital advertising, things like that, that are, uh, that are tough to compete with sometimes. Are there similar productions and communities across the nation that you can compare yourself with? I know in New Orleans, when I lived there back in the day, they had something called Gambit. I have no idea if the Gambit is still going. But are you a, a common item in most marketplaces, a weekly newspaper? Um, yeah, I mean, we're sort of, um, you know, they, they call these papers in other markets alternative weeklies because they were alternatives to the daily newspaper. And, you know, a lot of those papers are a lot more political or they have a certain political slant or, you know, they're heavy, heavy into A&E coverage, arts and entertainment coverage. And, you know, we, you know, we started out um, as more of an arts and entertainment paper. But as, you know, our market, our specific market changed because we lost our daily newspaper and we lost a lot of the local news coverage. So our focus changed with the changing landscape of of our market and so we became a more news focused newspaper so we're sort of a, a little bit of a hybrid but um i would say we're more like a traditional newspaper now than an alt weekly but there are other alt weeklies that um in, in many large markets so. now did you say rob did i hear you say that you guys started 16 years ago we did all right at that point let's say 16 years ago i don't remember exactly but certainly the internet was waking up. Certainly the thought of online uh, advertising was beginning. And let's say for sure 10 years ago, it would certainly was. If you were to uh, go back 16 years, knowing what you do today about the marketplace, about online, about what you think your competitors are uh, today versus then, what would you guys do differently? 
probably should have been a little bit more, uh, a little quicker to get web and get our website going. We, for a long time, didn't have a very uh, modern website. We didn't really respond to the web a whole lot. That said, you know, I think probably what we we should have done a little earlier is been a little newsier earlier on than we were. Um, that probably would have helped us. And and I, you know, I think a big part of uh, as far as the web goes, you know, we, we've had to realize that um, you have to temper your expectations. I think on that, you know, web advertising for newspapers is not really that great, and um, it has not been that great. And and especially you've seen, you know, that has eroded tremendously for um, for a lot of newspapers, and it, it's seen a lot of it go to Google and, and Facebook. So now, let so me I, interrupt you. I'm, I'm not sure I'm clear on what you're saying. Web advertising for newspapers. Define that for a guy outside of the industry. What does that mean? That means that people advertising on your website. Um, oh, I see. You know, vers- versus in print or or in concert with in print, and you know, um, we've not seen, you know, for us the digital advertising has never and and this is the same for for almost every newspaper digital advertising has not been anywhere close to what you still get in print even though for most newspapers especially dailies the the circulation's down things are not what they were um advertising is not what it was for a lot of large newspapers still print is is still a much larger component of what they're doing than digital so even though the 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 rumor is let's say in the marketplace that print is going away print is still the king in those that have print operations is that right yeah it it still makes for more money yeah who is the reader of a print newspaper who grabs it and puts it in their hands what do you know about the demographics of those readers you know it's you know, for us, for instance, our, our average reader is somewhere, you know, late 40s um, and, you know, lives in, in town as a, as a professional, but that's average. Um, you know, some of the surveys, some of the studies I've seen um, suggest that for anybody who uses a, a newspaper, that they still prefer, and at any age group, they still prefer the print medium over the digital, that newspaper. You know, so they go to the website for one thing, typically, and a lot of breaking news like that, but they prefer still to have that newspaper in their hand for those who are still using it, period. You know, and, and there's a lot of people who've just uh, drifted off into other things. Yeah. Now, who do you think, if if you could compare yourself to something, who do you aspire to be? What is your newspaper to aspire to be? Do you, got, do you set your sights on something out there and say, if we could move this direction... Uh, we would be doing great. Do you ever do you ever put something out like that? I mean, our our biggest goal is to be the best newspaper in, in Alabama. That's our biggest goal is you know to be the best newspaper we can be, and, and I think that's the number one thing for us. Yeah. Ashley, I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I I don't have a particular. I mean, there are, are many newspapers and many reporters that I admire, but I don't think. We're trying to emulate anyone. I think we're just trying to find the best stories for our market and serve our audience in the best way we can. We want to tell the news and the good stories. And, you know, as you said, when um, we were coming on the air, you know, in this era of fake news, we find it, you know, it's, you know, our responsibility to, you know, get it right, accurate. You know, we don't, we, we felt even more like we have to, like we always have, but we feel like we have to really be on, on our game in this sort of environment okay, where it's kind of hostile to media. So. Well, let's talk about that, the hostility to media. There's no doubt that uh, the tenor, the tone of the media consumer has changed, particularly in the last 18 months or so. Uh, when someone says the term fake news, what, what do you think? Let's not let's let's go next to what when they accuse your publication of fake news. But generally, do you have a, a do, you, do you just taste bile in the back of your throat as a newspaper person as soon as someone uh, says I mean, fake it's news? So, it's sort of become a joke, really, to me. I mean, it's I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. And most of the time when people say that it is not fake news, it is just news they don't agree with. So um, but I mean, it's aggravating. But I mean, I really feel like that's. I mean, certainly we get it, but I feel like it's more of a national issue. I mean, I think 
people know we are not going down to the housing board and making up fake news for fun, you know, so we're covering, we're just covering, we're getting out there and doing our job. And I think people know that. So, uh, but yes, but it's still frustrating. It's yeah, got, every, go ahead, pretty, Rob. I'm sorry. Pretty much every time you face something, somebody doesn't like a story they don't like, um, or if you're interviewing, you know, a, a politician or somebody and they don't like the, where the, which way the story's going, um, they, they call it fake news. And so it has lost, you know, somebody just emailed me yesterday and, and said that to me. And I just read back. I was like, you know, fake news has no value to me anymore. That, that terminology is, is a joke. It's become ridiculous. I'm going to interrupt you on that. We're going to go to break. I want to hear more about your opinions on this. Folks, you're listening to What's Working. I'm Cam Marston. I have Rob Holbert and Ashley Trice online with Lanyat Weekly. We're talking about the print business in our market today. We'll be right back. What's Working with Cam Marston is brought to you by Russell Thompson Butler in Houston, a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. For a CPA firm devoted to quality, give Russell Thompson Butler in Houston a call at 251-473-5550 or visit them on the web at rtbh.com. Think about how people really see you. The kid at the drive-thru just sees a coffee drinker. Please pull forward. Your local barista sees the person who loves a smiley face in their latte. See you next time. It's kind of the same way with insurance. Other insurance companies just see a customer, but a state farm agent sees more. They see you as a neighbor. Your state farm agent is here to get to know who you really are so they can help life go right. Call me, State Farm Agent Allison Horner, Mobile at 666-1616. First Protective is a multi-dimensional financial firm specializing in risk management. We blend all dimensions of financial services, offering our producers diverse products to create multiple revenue streams. If you're a life insurance producer or in the traditional investment business looking to grow your business, we can help. Call me, Jay Stubbs, at 251-604-7024 or find me online at www.firstprotective.com. This is Kim Marston. You're listening to What's Working. I have Rob Holbert and Ashley Trice online. They're the co... Are you co-editors or co-publishers? I think it's co-publishers. 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 A little bit of everything, yes. Pretty much everything. Of Lanyap in Mobile, Alabama. We're talking about the print industry in our time today. We were were kind of talking about fake news. I want to hear, Rob or Ashley... What do you guys do proactively to make sure you're presenting both sides of the story? The stereotypes of of all media is that it leans left with a couple of notable exceptions. Do you go through pains to make sure it is equal? Uh, the coverage of any story is equal, unbiased. Do you work actively to research the other side, whichever side that may be? Talk to me about how you gather content for the stories to make sure it's well represented. Well, our, I mean, our hard news stories, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the time, times people do not realize, you know, we have an opinion section um, in our paper, in our commentary section, and that it does, it leans left, it leans right. We have like, what, uh, what I think every good newspaper should have, a marketplace of ideas. I mean, we get people who will call us too conservative or people who will call us too liberal. I mean, sometimes we know that's when we're doing our jobs when we get both of that. Yeah, but but you know we want to challenge people's you know ideas on any number of issues, local, national, but especially locally, and in state and in state politics. But you know, but when it comes to covering news stories, we try to present every side. You know, we give everyone the opportunity to to comment, and we you know we dig as deep as we can into it. We're not trying. We don't have an agenda with those stories. We do a lot of investigative reporting, and um, that's that's one thing that really makes this newspaper very different from a lot is that we have really committed ourselves to a lot of long-form investigative journalism. Um, with that, you know, you have the responsibility to offer opportunity for people to explain themselves. Um, typically, people don't take that opportunity, 
and they, you know, when, when you're on to something, a lot of times then people say, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. And then they run around and say it's fake news or that they didn't, you know, that they were mistreated. And that's, uh, that's a pretty typical response. We've been doing this for a long time and, you know, I've never had anybody say, boy, you guys got that right. You know, in, in, in almost 30 years of journalism, I've been wrong on every story we've ever done. So it's just, you know, that you're dealing with, you just have to try to be fair and try to get both sides of the story in. But, you know, a lot of that also is dependent on people answering questions. That's funny. So none of the people you've ever written about that have been exposed or featured or anything like that in a news story has contacted you to say, you know what, that was pretty accurate. It really hurt my career and my future, but I got to give you credit for hitting those marks. Not a single one. <laughs> Do you feel like when, uh, when in so many of the communities, the newspapers, the weekly or the daily rather, newspapers as they have historically been known, had to roll up and go to three times a week, in some cases disappear entirely. Do you feel like there was a sigh of relief in certain leadership components or elected components of the society to say, good riddance, now I don't have somebody looking over my shoulder? Was there a, was there a, uh, a sigh of relief from some of these decision makers as the newspapers left town? I think if you see any area that doesn't have very good news coverage, you're going to see more corruption. I think that's, you can look at that and they walk their hand in hand. Um, I think that, you know, certainly people who are good public leaders don't see a value in not having a, a daily newspaper, not having a good newspaper in their town. Um, people who want to get away with things love it. But I, you know, I, I would say they're the minority in most places, but they, they make a lot of noise and they create a lot of trouble. But, you know, that's what, that's what newspapers are for. That's, we are the, you know, the fourth estate and it's, and, you know, a lot of us still take that very seriously. And that, that's, it is important for a community to have a strong newspaper watchdog. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. Do your advertisers come to you valuing the fourth estate or are they looking for eyeballs only? Are, are, they, are they in for the belief of what you stand for or is it the eyeballs? I think it's a little of both. You know, I think they kind of go hand in hand too if you're providing um, good news, you know, good news coverage, you know, people are, readers are going to pick it up. And if advertisers know that people are reading the paper, you know, they know they're getting value. So, you know, I think they kind of go hand in hand. Have you ever, uh, been offered a bribe to, or not to print something? <laughs> not, not, I wish bribe, that. I think. We've, been, <laughs> we've been threatened, I'm sure, you yeah. know, um, yeah, you know, we've had we had threats before, you know, lawsuit threats or whatever else. But uh, you know, those those are, you know, that's just part of the business. You have to deal with people doing stupid things like that. But no, I, you know, it's people get upset when they're, you know, when they're being exposed, when things are being exposed or or stories they don't like. Um, there there are people who get upset. There are people who are you know, reasonable about it. There are some politicians who understand that's, that's all part of the, the deal. And there are just some who don't and who react very poorly when, when something's written about them that they don't, you know, that is not glowing. Yeah. I was talking to a PR guy the other day. He was on the show, uh, Kenan Phillips, and he and I talked about the power of the apology to the American public that if we can, uh, we've been caught or we've done something wrong intentionally or accidentally, the American public has this insatiable desire for a heartfelt, thorough, uh, honest apology. And you, covering what you do, the politicians, the leaders, have likely seen this very closely over your careers of people getting caught in this hemorrhaging apology that seems to sew things up. I, I, I remember that conversation from a couple of weeks ago with Ken, and I'm still kind of uncomfortable with the fact that we as a society are so eager for this, this beautiful apology and all things are forgiven. What do you think about that? You see it from the front lines. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that is a very common thing for uh, when you see a politician in particular do something they shouldn't do. Uh, I think often if they own up to it and apologize, the political damage is, is cut off very quickly. If you look at, you know, I mean, we can look at it historically over and over and over again. What happens is it just 
investors when they dis, you know, when they continue to try to to hide it or to say they didn't do something that's become very obvious. We had a a situation um, to, where a public official got a, a DUI, and the official came out and said, "I'm going to take my lumps. I'm sorry I did this." And everybody said, "No, that's good for them." And then you find out later that this person's attorney is writing letters to the state saying that they shouldn't have their license taken because they're a public official and things like that and, and trying to fight it behind the scenes. And then people got angry and it becomes a bigger story then, you know, it, as, as a, you know, at the, at the beginning of it, when they apologized, we were kind of like, okay, that's the story end of deal. If he's taking his lumps, you know, nobody's going to, to just uh, pillory the guy over the whole thing. And it was, uh, and, and uh, behind the scenes, there was a whole different machine going on. Uh, behind the scenes, there was a, there was an effort to to manipulate the system and keep that person from having his license uh, suspended, and and he actually was pretty successful in doing that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Uh, you get a cl- up close view of humanity by covering what you cover, what people's motivations are. I guess you get to see into people's souls a little bit. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but when you see things like this on a repeated basis as covering what it is that you do, I'd be curious. It's kind of not even germane to this conversation, but what your opinion of humanity is, a newspaper person's opinion of humanity. Maybe we can get into that in a little while. That would be somewhat interesting. Um, I think it definitely makes you a little more cynical. Does it really? I mean, I think... You know, um, I was 25 when we started this paper, and I definitely, you know, um, I guess I was had a, I was a little more idealistic at that point. But maybe that's just what happens as you age in general. I don't know, but I mean, I guess, uh, I guess it's just. I mean, uh, I feel as far as politics go, I think it's just really taught me. You know, it doesn't matter what party. It, it, you know, it doesn't matter really which way you lean. It's there are good people and there are bad people, and no one real, no one person really has the answer to it. So, um, I think that's just sort of where I've landed over the years. But. Now, you said something. You were 25 when this started. If my notes are right, you started in 2002. Is that accurate? Yes. Talk to me about the year 2007, eight, and nine, the Great Recession. When all dollars, not just advertising dollars, but dollars everywhere seem to vanish, how did you guys pull through? What's that story? And we, we started the paper in the middle of a recession. Um, well, actually, well, for the newspaper industry, it was because um, during that time, classified advertising had gone all to Craigslist. Yes. And so all of our... Um, you know, all of our, not competitors, but all of the other newspapers um, and other markets were really hurting because that was a huge loss of re- revenue for them. But we never had that to lose. So, uh, so if they, I remember we got several calls from trade magazines that saying, why on earth would you start a newspaper now, you know, in, in, in light of all of that. But we, you know, when you don't have the revenue to lose, we never had it. It was sort of a blessing in a way because we had to find other ways. Uh, to, get, to you know, get advertising. So you so. never relied on the the classified advertising, yeah. but you certainly had yeah. to rely on something that's that dried up in two thousand and eight. And then, well, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, just to give you an example, I mean, I, I actually just, you know, we grew through all those years, um, and we grew at you know double digit numbers through all those years, um, and. You know, I mean, I guess a lot of it is because we were we were small to begin with. But, uh, you know, when we started the paper, one of the things we looked at from the beginning was just saying, okay, we think we kind of have an idea of where this, with what the Internet effect on newspapers is going to be to some extent. In that you have to produce local content that can't be found on the web, because if you don't, you know, if you just go out there and you and you regurgitate, you buy a bunch of uh, stuff that's, you know, uh, syndicated content, things like that, that people can already see online, you're, you're not going to have very many things there that are unique to your paper. So when we started and we have been the whole way, we produce everything. All, all you know, all the articles in Lanyap are produced by us. 
even the horoscopes. Yeah, yeah, even our staff psychic writes the yeah. writes the horoscopes. So it's um, that's fantastic. A local horoscope with a drawl. Yeah, and they're 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 a little fun. They're fun to read. I mean, but it, that our the goal, you know, when we started was if we write something, if we have a newspaper that everybody's reading, then people will advertise in it. And you know, I think to to some extent that's that's been a, a bit of our saving grace. Well, and also I think we during those years said businesses still wanted to advertise, and we actually. You know, maybe they couldn't afford to go get a new TV ad produced and run the, the very expensive spots on that. But, you know, they could certainly, you know, we offered them a very affordable alternative, too. And, you know, we've always really counted on local businesses. You know, and, you know, I think they didn't take the hit, you know, as some of them didn't take it as hard a hit as, you know, but real estate and other markets did, so. So looking back on your your the way you went after this marketplace, and I love that summary, Rob, that you just gave. You you want uh, content that is available locally, and if people are reading it, they will others will be advertising in it. If you could advise a, a, a startup business somewhere uh, on something similar, I mean, what, what would your advice be to someone that's come to you with a business plan based on what you've learned uh, about developing a niche in a marketplace? Well, when you're looking at anything right now, you're looking at retail, you're looking at media, any of those types of things. Um, you know, retail is, is facing a tremendous amount of challenges, obviously, because you know, people are going online to get it. it. You need to produce something. You need to have something that they need locally that can't just be bought online, you know? And I think that's the big issue for people is, you know, if you're starting something, it's got to have a niche locally it has to be something that is you need to be hyper local let's pick it up there again i want to talk about hyper local that's perfect and i also want to talk about how you find and keep talent folks you're listening to what's working i'm cam marston we have the co-publishers of lanyap weekly from mobile alabama talking about the print business and we'll be right back You've probably heard about the new tax laws for 2018. It can be daunting to interpret the laws and nearly impossible to determine the implications for your business. That's where Russell Thompson Butler in Houston comes in. With over 30 years of experience, RTBH offers full service accounting and financial planning for businesses along the Gulf Coast. To learn how RTBH can help you make sense of the new tax plan, visit the website at rtbh.com. Think about your home. What do you see? Do you just see two stories or the stories of your toddler's first steps? Now think about your car. Do you see an odometer reading or your kids reading in the back seat? Other insurance companies just see a house. They just see a car. But a state farm agent sees what your home and your car really mean to you. So why not give them the protection they deserve? You can reach me, State Farm Agent Allison Horner, at allisonhorner.com. Cam Marston show what's working our focus workplace and workforce trends and if there's any industry that has struggled post great recession it's got to be the newspaper and print industry then they began new struggles with the current presidential administration beginning to accuse any story that didn't favor them as fake news yet this group continues to thrive. They continue to grow. They continue to gain readership. And Rob, just before the break, you were talking about having to be hyper-local. I want to hear how you define hyper-local and how any business in any one of our listening areas can take that idea and apply it to their own business. Hyper-local. Well, I mean, for, for us, it means covering news that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, for you know, for anybody else, it's going to be something that you can't get on the World Wide Web. You can't have it replicated. And that's, I think that's the tough part for a lot of businesses um, is trying to find a place where you fit and that people come in and say, man, this is the only place we can get this. I mean, you think about your local restaurant. Um, obviously, you go there because proximity to the restaurant, but also 
you know, there's all these chain restaurants that are producing the same things around here. Why do you go to a local restaurant? Because it's different. They have something that is unique. And, and that's, that's kind of how you have to look at it, I think, especially in, in, in these days. Talk to me about your brand. Talk to me about how you make your brand unique. It must be easy to see uh, competitors or uh, similar uh, publications in other communities that you may keep an eye on and want to start to imitate them because you like them, but yet you retain a brand unique to yourself. How hard is it to maintain a distinct brand in our in our day? Uh, well, you know, I think our brand reflects our community. I think that's what we, and I think our community is very, you know, unique and has a lot of flavor. And so I think it kind of makes it easy in a way. You know, I, I, our, our, one of our uh, mottos is keep mobile funky. And, uh, you know, I think that we try to live by that. You know, we try to find the stories that aren't being told and, you know, try to, on the unique what's unique about our our community and and tell those stories so it kind of you know makes it easy to keep your brand um strong when when you're doing that i think anything that supports the idea of keep mobile funky uh, is a heck of a challenge, man. When you can, when you can say, does this help keep mobile funky? And the answer is yes. It's gotta be a great feeling to keep this sound yeah. funky, but every, it's commu- not hard. yeah, <laughs> so many communities want their unique brand communicated and you guys seem to have done it quite well with mobile and Lanyap, at least in my own opinion, I'm curious, let's move on into talent. Talent is a challenge for every one of my employers. I was recently this week in both Chicago and in San Diego, and the common complaint with both was how do we find and keep good talent? And then the added challenge of finding people that can report and research and write well. Tell me how you find talent and what you're, what you're looking for to know that someone's going to do well in your business. Um, you know, it's, it's always difficult to be sure. I would never, you know, bet any of my vital organs on anybody that you hire and say, this is going to be. In, in fact, if I could jump in for a second, I mean, we always, anytime that we interview someone and hire them and mm-hmm. say, this person is going to be fantastic. That's usually the worst employee that we've, <laughs> we've hired, you know, and when we're kind of iffy on someone, they turn out to be the best. So that's sort of our, our joke, but we've actually ended up, um, you know, with a good, with a good team. So, uh, but I mean, it definitely, it's hard to tell. I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to tell who's going to work. You just got to get in there and, and see. So. Is there a background yeah. you're looking for? Well, I mean, if, if we're talking about reporting, um, you know, there are, you know, a lot of industry websites that we can use to find reporters, um, you know, and certainly we need someone with the journalism background for that. Um, you know, our salespeople, that's a different story. I mean, I think that's probably the harder, um, harder, um, position to feel, but because it's just so hard to tell who can, who's good at sales and who's not. So, um, and you know, it's just, it's not for everyone, you know, so finding a good salesperson is like gold. So, um, but I mean, that's, that's how that will be my feeling on it on Rob probably can add to that, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's not easy with, with those things. Um, I think, you know, for one thing, you know, talk about, maybe I'll talk about retention, at least from, from the editorial standpoint. Um, the people who come here enjoy coming here to write because we're doing important stories that journalists want to do. Um, most journalists who've been at small newspapers, you end up doing stories about, you know, somebody's quilt collection or somebody, you can grow in a giant cabbage. Occasionally you get to, to do some big stuff. Um, we, we don't do that stuff. You know, we don't do a lot of community news, which is a shame, but it's just part of the way it's the way life is now. And so, you know, most of what we're, what we're out doing is investigative reporting or covering bigger stories and reporters are into that. And, you know, so a lot of it, you know, uh, you talk about brand, a lot of, I think what makes a brand unique for any brand is there's gotta be a joyfulness about doing the job that comes through to your readers or to your customers. And, you know, I think that, I I think, I hope that's what we have in the paper, that there's still some fun and still some joy in it. And people are picking it up and saying, and I don't know what it's going to have this week, but there's going to be something interesting and exciting. 
You know what? You've said something that I think most people would find uh, somewhat confusing. Their 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 brows are furrowed right now. Joyfulness, joyfulness and doing the job, joyfulness and producing the product on a weekly basis. Is that a uh, I mean, I can't imagine that you go around your workplaces going, is everybody feeling joyful now? Uh, yet, you got to go ahead. You got to you got to look if you're if you're doing what we're doing right now in our in our business and you're still allowed to do it. You better be very excited that you're allowed to do it. I mean, it's it's a for me and Ashley both, I think it, it's, it's a dream come true to be able to be newspaper publishers and to put out a newspaper for 16 years now. That is, that's not anything we take lightly. Yeah, there's tough days, but I mean, you know, you, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old. So, um, if, if I were in a traditional newspaper, I'd probably have been kicked out to the curb right now and trying to find a job doing something else. So I'm very happy to still be in the journalism field. And so I hope that that part, you know, when you come to work, you should be excited about that. Yeah. Your employer would be telling you, don't come back with any more giant cabbage stories. We've had enough of these things. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Jones, giant cabbage. You know what? You've reported on that dang cabbage now five times. Go do some real work. (laughs) It's a big story. (laughs) So I want to go think back for me, if you will, Uh, jump in your own uh, yearbook and flip some pages of landmark moments in the business since 2002, things where something happened where you looked at each other and said, I can't believe that, uh, whether it was a stroke of great fortune or awful luck. Give me a sense of what victory has looked like for you two in the back in the, your past. Well, I can I can name two off the top yeah. of my head. Uh, number one, um, when our daily newspaper went to went away, that definitely helped us and and subsequently when from a business standpoint i mean we're newspaper people we were not happy to see it go either but from a business standpoint it certainly helped us and you know it gave us an opportunity and we did seize on it and it became a weekly paper at that point so that was definitely a, a big turning point right there when we went weekly so so it's like the demise of your of your favorite competitor they're a competitor, but they're your favorite competitor. And when they went away, it was a, a you seized on that opportunity, huh? Right. I don't know if I'd call my favorite, but you know. No, right, right. So, no, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, every, we, we are newspaper people, so we believe that every city should have a, a, a good newspaper, but, and we are hopefully feeling, uh, filling that void. So. <laughs> Who yeah. do you go yeah, ahead, I think, I think we have the, the number of times that we've been struck by lightning is amazing. And, you know, we've, we've gotten lucky um, many, many times. I think one thing that sticks in my head was very early on that we were allowed to be the, uh, the official guide for Bay Fest, which was our large uh, concert. Uh, you know, we had a, a big festival, a music festival in each uh, late September, early October. And, very early on, we were allowed to do that, and um, we put together a guide for them, and it became a big paper for us. And at a time when we didn't have a big paper, and, and that was that was something that put some money in the in the coffers for us. And um, you know, there's just been been some really more some moments. I know with both Ashley and I said, "Gosh, I guess you know somebody up there like this, uh, something good has happened to us." So, and we've had a lot of good things that that have happened that kind of came out of the blue. Who do you consider your competitors? Is your competitor another newspaper? Is it an online news source? Is your competitor people's uh, time that they can spare to read? Itemize for me your competitors. Well, I mean, radio is definitely a competitor more so than I think uh, than the daily news or the um, thrice weekly newspaper. But also, I mean, Facebooking, Facebook is probably one of our bigger competitors now because everyone is just like, oh, I'll just put it on Facebook, you know. So I'll just have, you know, put my specials on Facebook or whatever. So, so from an advertisement yeah. point of view, radio and Facebook, what about a reader? What about a consumer's point of view? Who, who do you think their competitors are? Or your competitors I think, are? I think the biggest competitor we have is just um, apathy sometimes. Yeah, is, that's kind is, of what I thought. Big part. You know, that's the, that's the bigger part is just people who have decided that, 
you know, they listen to too much people, too many people saying news is fake or I don't want to, you know, we've, our, our readership has grown and grown and grown. And, and, you know, so people here read the news. Um, it's not a situation where people aren't reading it. We are, but we're the largest weekly newspaper in Alabama at this point. Um, and I, and I guess if, if we're talking about an investigative reporting sort of situation, I would say probably a couple of the reporters at the TV stations would be that we try to scoop, you know, that would probably be, um, our competitive competitors in that regard. So, Ashley, if they were to suddenly disappear, much like your other print competitor disappeared, you would uh, mourn only for a short period of time. Huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't I don't from a business standpoint, I don't really consider them, you know, I, I, don't, I think we all have our place. You know, I, the, the newspaper going to three times a week definitely helped. I don't know that if TV went away, it would really affect us as much. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think, Cam, you know, we didn't really get a lot of, you know, when we talk about the newspaper going to three days a week or, and not really being a big part of the community, it's not necessarily that we gathered up a bunch of their advertising. We didn't. But what what it did give us was that opportunity to be a, be the news source. And, and, you know, that's what Ashley's talking about. And that's what we say, you know, when, when they left, it was really, that was our opportunity to come in and say, you know what, we're going to go down and cover more things and give people the news they need. I mean, we feel that's a part of what, you know, what we need to do. It's not just all business. It is part of, you know, being a newspaper is, you know, that's you sign on and say, you know, know, getting people information, educating people on what's going on in the community is, you know, what you have to do. And that's, that's part of your, your, you know, your charge to, to be a newspaper. So, I mean, I think that's really where it gave us room to run. What do you know about, you mentioned, Rob, a moment ago that you were either 49 or 50. You're right around my age there. Yep. We did some work. My company did some work for a media organization called Hubbard out of uh, the upper Midwest somewhere. And their question was, will people ever be interested in local news? And our research revealed that once people have children and become invested in their community, local news, whether it be television, newspaper, or talk radio, becomes very important to them. People are having children later today than they ever have before. Are you seeing this trend of people becoming vested in their community later and then finding you at older ages than generations past? And I shouldn't have even asked you that because we're almost out of time. Quick thoughts on that? (laughs) I think it's, I mean, I think there's definitely something to that, Um, you know, and people that are, yeah, you know, people want to know what's going on once they're, once they have a house and kids and all those things, they're, they're a lot more interested in those things. Yeah. And do you, uh, do you have to consciously write for, uh, realizing that your audience ages or, 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 or the, the age no. of your audience spans? We don't, we don't ever stand around and say our audience is this, let's write, let's write. No, I mean, audience. with that said, I think different parts of the paper, definitely skew to different age groups like the music scene you know the music listings younger our, our audience is younger for that generally but you know well let me ask you one final question did your horoscope writer predict that this interview would go well or not <laughs> Dr. Zodiac, uh, he's drunk usually. <laughs> that makes all of us. We're all part of the group. Listen, you two, Rob, Ashley, thank you very much for your time and attention on the show. Very, very interesting stuff, folks. Uh, I appreciate it, Rob. I appreciate it, Ashley. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you, Cam. You keep putting out the good stuff. All right, folks, we'll be right back with some final comments in just one moment. You're listening to What's Working. <laughs> Recognized by Business Alabama as a top-tier CPA firm, Russell, Thompson, Butler, and Houston has served small businesses and individuals along the Gulf Coast since 1987 with consistent quality and service. Russell, Thompson, Butler, and Houston is a full-service CPA firm specializing in accounting and auditing services, tax planning and preparation, business valuations, along with general business and financial consulting. To learn more, rtbh.com. Life insurance is one of those subjects that make people want to change the subject rather than admit they probably don't have enough. I'm State Farm agent Allison Horner, and that's why I focus on how the benefits of life insurance actually live on 
by asking people to think in terms of life without having to sell the house insurance or life without having to give up college insurance. Find out how the benefits of life insurance can live on for your family. Call me, State Farm Agent Allison Horner, and get to a better state with State Farm. Hi, I'm Jay Stubbs with First Protective. People approaching retirement are concerned about outliving their income and being a burden on their children. They fear chronic illness and they want to leave a legacy. If you're a life insurance producer or in the traditional investment business and this describes your clients, we can help. Call me, Jay Stubbs, 251-604-7024 or find me online at firstprotective.com. finish this week relaying a call that I had just the other day that is very, very frequent in my line of work. As many of you may know, the core of my work is not radio by any means, but it's a training business. We've developed and uh, conducted training programs for the last 20 years. And I had a call just the other day from what would be a new client, an old connection, but a new client. Their question was, we need you, Cam, to come in, and I'm going to boil this down, fix our people. You need, we, we need you to come in and fix them. The incentives that we're offering them, uh, they're not responding to appropriately. The communications that we're offering them, they're not grateful enough for them. So we need you to come in, and if it takes a half day, we'll give you a half day. If you can do it in two hours, we'll give you two hours. If it takes a full day, we'll do that. If you need the whole team, we'll give you that. If you need just parts of the team, you just tell us what you need. We need you to come in and fix our people. I was reminded as soon as the lady that was conducting the call on the other side said that of a much more popular, famous radio personality, Dr. Laura. And I will admit that from time to time, I listen to this just to make me feel better about myself, frankly. I listen to her show. And she said, my business, in one of, in one of the calls, she said, my business is based upon people calling me and asking for help from me to teach them how to fix someone else so that it will make my life easier. Dr. Laura, I need you to tell me how to fix my mother-in-law. She makes my life miserable. How can I fix her so that it will make my life easier? Dr. Laura, I need you to help me fix my spouse. I need you to help me fix my kids, whatever it may be. And in a moment of exasperation, she says on her show, folks, you can't fix other people. You just got to learn how to fix yourself. You can work with them, but you can't fix them. So at the end of my call or towards the end of my call with this prospective client, I told them, I need to manage your expectations. I think there's some things that I can help you with. But the result of my program is going to be managing your expectations with these people that you're trying to fix. We cannot change other people's behavior. We can force them to change for a period of time, but that's not the long-term change that we want. So I spent some time on the phone with them telling them this, and I hear just this silence, this great sigh. They knew it all along. They were just hoping I had some recipe. And that's the message for all of us folks in the workplace and elsewhere. We can't fix other people. We can manage our own expectations, and that's a big part of it. We'll have another show for you next week, rather. And before we close, I want to give special props to a a guy that's become my friend and makes this show sound as good as it does. John Thompson with Ion Digital. If you need some help with your stuff, call John. We'll see you next week. 